almost had to hold in the sneeze right on go. That would have fucking been what a start to the show. Or that would have been. Nori's reductions are going to be picking up and picking out of your sniffles throughout the entire episode. So let's uh, let's uh, get our audience to send you some vitamins through a PO box that we don't have. Yeah, guys. Yeah, send me some. Uh, send me some. Um, some prayers right now. I'm lacking in vitamin C and D. So uh, vitamin yeah. P oh. for prayers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That too. Good one. Um, yeah. I don't know about you, Cheney, right now, but I'm I'm witnessing the first snowfall, I think, of our season. I went Slightly into terrifying. my room for, I don't know, maybe a couple hours just to play some chess and stuff. And I walk out of my room and I go, Jesus Christ, because it's just white now. Like, there was a little bit of snowfall earlier when I was driving around, but like, yeah. not like this. This is the yeah. first official snowfall. Yeah, it's coming down for you heavy? Yeah, hard. Ooh. So, you know. That means I, I gotta go to... home this weekend and get the snow tires on. Oh, God. that's It's the first one that's like a warning. That's a warning shot from God. It's like, this is gonna be um, uh, it's gonna be a rough one. We're right at the end of October now, I guess, so that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, a, that's a sign for a, a white winter. Because I took some meteor, uh, meteorology classes and some atmospheric classes throughout university this is what we like to call a bounce back winter because last winter was relatively warm this one's gonna be fucking cold and snowy so yeah oh, also fuck. a rough a Ooh. rough year for a rough winter yeah. all things considering but all yeah i was gonna say sucks even worse considering you can't can't vacation can't get out of the country but hey there could be in worse so no yeah we do some tobogganing that'll be actually good this year maybe this year my pond will actually freeze over because it hardly it froze over for maybe like three days last year and i wasn't able to get home to play hockey on it so there's some benefits to to living wild in the snow it's not rocket science just bundle up and and i feel like kind of the like the nature of what has like brought everybody closer kind of together in a weird way just in in a communal sense i think um the winter should be cool for that you know like to the, you just brought up tobogganing and i was uh thinking about the last time i got tobogganing it's been a while so i'm hoping you know people are just in the spirit this holiday season i guess to be outside more i don't know we'll, we'll, considering how things how things go but um yeah that's just a little, a little hopeful for this holiday season if you're tobogganing i hope you bring a case of beer with you because that's the only way to do it at this age yeah <laughs> it's yeah taboozing is is quite the thrill yeah yeah no doubt that's a that's part of the plan already let's go so winter is also good for many things like staying indoors and uh binging tv shows as i've been doing as of recently um not only did i binge the haunting of Bly manor as soon as it came out but a new netflix series came out uh late late last week i kind of got on it a little late uh, I was pretty busy, but um, I watched uh, The Queen's Gambit, which is a new Netflix series. It's, um, if you don't know, it's about chess. Um, it's based off of a really old novel. I forget, I, th- I think by the same name, Queen's Gambit. Um, and it's just a, a sort of a show, a sports show. In a way, it treats mm. chess more like a sport, which it kind of is. I, I sort of see it that way now. Um, 
but it goes to the life of a girl named Beth and her journey to become um, the world's greatest chess player. Um, and although chess is sort of in the, the forefront of the show, this show goes far deeper than just being about winning chess games. Um, I can it really imagine is... the, the interest level has to to kind of get beyond chess at some point. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it really is more of a character study on stuff like substance abuse and fame and mm-hmm. and sort of moving on from traumatic pasts. So um, I believe it's only seven episodes, um, seven episodes long. Each episode is about an hour long mm. or a little less and um, does a fantastic job of just running through this girl's life um, in sort of a staggered way. In the beginning, you get presented with this situation and um, and it sort of shoots you back in time and you sort of work your way back up to that moment in her life um, where eventually the last few episodes sort of recap what happens past that moment. But um, it's a really strong opening, really strong visualizations of things that are strongly important throughout the entire series um really gets you invested within beth as a character you Mm -hmm. immediately sympathize with her she's had a really really fucked up time of things um it sort of establishes early on you know how she's able to become this chess master in this weird way not not a really natural way but um and not in like a supernatural sense either just more like on uh, the basis of her talents on her yeah, gifts i guess on on yeah. where her gifts come from how she's able yeah. to calculate so fast and and is um, it kind of um kind of sherlock holmes benedict cumberbatch uh where she's just like way more advanced than the guy next to her um like it, it shows how she processes uh calculations in a in a kind of unique way kind of like that not exactly like sherlock not trying to make a such a specific comparison because I haven't seen it but you know what I mean like does it kind of have that visual element of showing her yeah genius? it's it's incredible like the visualization of how you you get a sort of it's all from her POV the entire show and okay, you get cool. this um, really cool visualization of how she see things how she sees mm-hmm. things how she sees the chess board, how she how processes she, yeah right. how she processes and how she makes the calculations um, yeah. in her head I like Um, shows or movies like that that immediately uh, make me feel like I'm a dumb person. Yeah, for sure. Well, it doesn't make you feel dumb. Like, you don't really... mm, I mean, a little bit. It does make you feel dumb a little bit because, like, (laughs) I would would watch the show and I'd go and play chess online and uh, I'd be like... It it inspired you to get back into chess or get into chess or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I've been into chess since the start of the pandemic. I needed something to do while I was... uh, just sitting around at home a lot um something to sort of stimulate the brain yeah i've been getting more chess iMessage requests like game requests on uh since the pandemic started than ever before so chess has been on people's mind i think it's getting a comeback what like cyberpunk's getting delayed but chess is coming back you know what i mean here's the thing chess has been popular for a long time like there's a huge Mm, community that i didn't even know existed Mm -hmm. and now that i'm sort of into it it's like yeah like there's lots of popular chess content creators 
and like mm-hmm. famous chess players and the tournaments are actually fun to watch even though they're mm-hmm. online now like i still tune in on twitch because they stream them on twitch which is like perfect so um that's amazing there's twitch is like uh i was thinking about it because i was just like scrolling through it a couple days ago but there's something for everybody on there and so it doesn't surprise me twi- uh uh what is it what are you talking about chess would have like a huge following and like the basis for a tournament to function yeah it's um and, and credit to twitch for being able to promote it they did stuff like pog champs where they took um popular streamers and put them into chess tournaments and without stuff like that i don't think i would have gotten into chess as much and i don't think i would have had this appreciation for the queen's gambit as i as i do um they they yeah. really did their homework for the show it's it's probably the best or from what i've heard it's like the best representation best sort of media of of what chess is really like yeah um, it made chess cool would you mm-hmm. say then yeah. they they brought in uh grandmasters if you don't know like grandmasters are like the highest level you can achieve sure as, yeah. as a as a chess player in terms of title so they brought so this in, is interesting i'm lo- oh, sorry i don't mean to cut you off finish your point yeah go go ahead with the um so they brought in a, an old world champion gary kasparov to mm-hmm. um create the key games um for the show so like he he would take past games that were played by grandmasters and sort of take the sort of end position of where all the pieces were and sort of make a new game out of it and mm. for the show specifically um which is crazy because now you have guys that are actually analyzing the games they played in the show being like oh wow wow yeah, yeah. so it's like they really did their homework um that's some that's some like self-reflection shit right there mm-hmm. there's a lot of love put into the show um it romanticizes chess in such a way that i didn't think was possible mm-hmm. um it, it, it's it's crazy it's like the it's not like a rocky story but like you know, Your Rocky description sort of, of it has... makes yeah no, but it just kind of describes. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the movie The Social Network, where it like turns something as seemingly not cool as programming, coding, or like designing a, a web-based platform of any sorts, like you know, and just turns that into the coolest thing of all time. Suddenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you, you the, your description it, it reminds me of that uh, kind of a story or that kind of a you know a show yeah and like the way she describes it Beth like, like the, the board is this whole new world that she has control over she can manipulate she knows the patterns mm-hmm. it's predictable it's it's which makes sense when you consider her backstory and, and how she grew up um, mm-hmm. where everything was sort of out of whack everything was unpredictable um, you never knew it was going to happen next. But when, you know, and, and during those unpredictable times, she's able to find this game that is highly predictable, high, highly pattern focused. And that, that sort of allows her to take a liking to it. And then also she's a, a math whiz. So she's able to do these sort of calculations in her head quite fast. And she's mm-hmm. been established as this really intelligent person. And, um, you know, her relationship with her first coach is it's really subtle but like man it gets you in the fucking feels at the end it's um oh man, i almost cried watching the watching sounds the last like an episode. interesting show your description of it like well one when i know that when you say you uh you binge a show all like all at once i know like okay good point to pay attention to what this guy is about to say so uh but also it sounds like a very complex show um i'm looking at the google like just uh 
notes of it and who's in it who did it and i really like the actress who plays beth already just i i'm aware of what she's been in before it's the actress um anya taylor joy who's been in movies like the witch um that's the first one i saw her in where i was like yeah she is uh she's got like a special like thing about her i think just on a like her face has a very like a coy but can be deceiving kind of a portrayal mm-hmm. like or just very I like to think of it face as... that can have many faces kind of hiding behind it and yeah I'm, I'm very interested to see what she does so i'm, I'm definitely going to check the show out for for your how you just reviewed it or kind of gave a uh, your your take on it but also she fucking kills it she uh, kills i can tell it. you i tell you that right now she fucking kills it um there it is this is the first thing i've watched her in i knew i recognized her from something and yeah. you saying the witch that was it yeah um she yeah she fucking killed it uh she's got such a unique sort of like you said that look um she's very versatile with that but um it's so haunting it's so like me- it's mesmerizing her, That's the word. she she is mesmerizing within the show it's, like yeah when just they, the google image thumbnail is just like fuck can't stop looking like into her soul or she's looking into my soul kind of yeah thing. when they do the like over the table shots within mm-hmm. the show like just over the table right in her face like you can understand it's like wow they cast uh, her like, for a reason yeah they cast yeah. her for a reason because a, a lot of what she does as a character she doesn't talk much mm-hmm. um she talks when she needs to that's sort of you know that's how i related to her because i don't really like to talk much i'm not really that social i talk when i need to mm-hmm. and and so does this character and she's um she's i'd like to think of her as dainty and and sly and cerebral is the best word i can think of um it, it her her personality comes out in her chest as well it's like she, she just likes to intimidate dominate um you know despite her sort of stern look she likes exciting chess so sacrifices mm-hmm. and all this so um but it, i thought the show might suffer from one thing because it's sort of you know i've always sort of thought when when a show sort of establishes that the character is just gifted in some way they're just that good and we just mm-hmm. get to see them be good at something mm-hmm. um that is true that she is good but when it comes to chess being good and being creative and seeing those patterns isn't everything um that's the biggest thing it's yeah it's like there, yeah. there's there's certain styles of players like you have those really exciting right. um they just can think over the board and they can create these amazing um setups for their pieces sort of instinctively it's and a dance have, i think like the way when people think about it right yeah it's a, it's a dance it's a war it's a right it's everything and then you have guys it's that everything are, all those kind of poetic analogies can be mm-hmm. put into it you have chess players that are more like analytical where they go through all the past games and they mm-hmm. um are able to sort of recognize each position and then how do they, they sort of pre-plan on, on what to do here and what to do if, if they do this and, and all that. And um, she sort of needs to learn throughout the show to not just solely rely on her instinct. She needs to actually get her shit together and, and study. And like, just because she's that good naturally doesn't mean that's going to get her to where she wants to go. Mm, so I like that. Yeah. It's, it's a really good arc throughout the show. Yeah. Um, it's a really depressing show, so I wouldn't actually recommend uh, watching it all in one sitting. Um, but you're you're heavy into the depressing shows right now, man. I don't mean to be. 
it's it's just, just some time of the year, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, the, this show fucked me up too. Just like Haunting of Blind Manor. It fucked me up too. So yeah. um, I still I, haven't finished that one yet, but I'm, I'm, I might even give this one a shot. I kind of, I'm kind of liking the sound of this one uh, a little more right now. Oh, you did help um, sort of respect your roots, your Indian roots. Um, Indians have always been big time chess players. It's been a big part sure. of the culture. So this sure. would be a good way for you to sort of get into chess a bit. Chess is like, it, it, yeah. it, I don't know. It gets me so tilted because I'm really competitive when it comes to. See, you, you brought like an that. interesting point about it. And I like, I kind of want to expand on this. I don't know if this is the right platform to have the discussion on it. But anyways, let's, let's talk about it. I think um, like my dad introduced chess to me at a pretty young age. And like you said, it's part of the roots, kind of a cultural thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, just a very in a very like nonchalant manner. Like here's the game of chess, you know. This is something people play throughout history. This is something that's been around for a while. It will always be around. It's one of those games. And when I thought about it as a kid compared to like now, you know, I've never seen myself as a good chess player but I'm intrigued so much to play a game of chess whenever the opportunity is brought just because of the history of it, you know? Um, and like, just knowing like, this is such a tactical game. It's like the game of war or, or, you know, battleship or like whatever, whatever you want to compare it to. Um, and I think like, you know, certain minds, like the way you're, you're describing this character, Beth, I believe she would be like one of those kind of people. There's certain minds that can like fixate on those patterns of chess and it's always been like I'm always aware of the fact like whether you're like from Indian like whether you're Indian or Russian or Eastern European like certain cultures have a progressive like kind of understanding of these games and how to how to tie them into life in some kind of a way and so I've I've, I've always been fed that kind of information like you should get good at chess you know this is a tool this can be a tool for you somewhere some i'm like i don't understand this is a this is like a kids game going on here um it's it's I, that's a totally understandable point it's chess is almost to to a degree of a form of communication a form of language you're able to communicate at, yeah the kind of person it's, you are over the chessboard sure yeah sure um and this is established throughout the show as well it's like you know um i, I should have mentioned like this is uh set in the 50s and the 60s uh, right cold war cold war time mm -hmm. right cold war time and um I, li I, li I like that I like when shows add all those kind of elements of like here's something you're gonna like even more now cold war mm -hmm. set with a chess piece. yeah whatever go on right and like the ultimate opponent for her is the world champion uh, borakov he's a russian mm -hmm. um and, and it's it's pretty well established early on that like different regions within the united states and the different areas within the world play chess differently and you sort mm -hmm. of need to strategize for certain regions and, and, and make sure you have the right things down before you actually go and play. So it is really like a war, like armies kind of preparing for battle, how each country or whatever would have a different way to go into battle. Like chess players have different tactics that they would, I would imagine the best chess players study their opponents well in advance, you know, to the depths. Mm -hmm. And this was, it's, it's set in an area, in an era that is like, you know, all the characters within the sh within the show, all the chess players aren't real. They're based off real chess players, but they're not real. But mm -hmm. the the fact that the Russians are dominating world chess at this time mm -hmm. is historically accurate, and it's sort of 
well it's 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 established at the show like why they're able to be so good why they're dominating right now um and how the americans can beat them at their own game which is the big thing it's like the miracle on ice when the americans beat the russians for the gold medal game which is by the way the united states only gold medal in hockey history so and they needed a fucking miracle to do it suck on that we have the most gold medals anyways yeah but you can clap for that we can clap for that screw um, you us no i'm kidding anyway yeah uh it's just a it's just a really strong show and and some episodes chess is in the forefront some episodes not so much um but the underlying problems with beth and her overcoming those problems um is always present and the character Mm -hmm. arc is slow and steady and it builds nicely there's good payoffs and yeah it's uh it's a really strong show and i highly Mm -hmm. recommend it i highly recommend to anyone even if you're if you're don't understand chess because they actually explain things to you like they explain you the rules in in a good way they explain why certain things work certain things don't how tournament rules work all this so um it's completely accessible to people who don't play chess and then it it, there's even more content for people that sort of understand and play as well so it's it's rich for the people that are into chess into the chess world i guess yeah so highly recommend it that's sort of uh, cool. my non-spoily review of of the Queen's Gambit. Let me know if you watch yeah. it. This this will be a show I check out. I'll tell you that. This from from early like an hour ago when you first told me about this show to me not knowing it existed and now, uh, I think I'm I'm interested in it. Like a lot on the fact of the chess. I think too, where that wouldn't have been the initial sell, but um, yeah, that's uh. I, I'm. This is what we were talking about a couple weeks ago, right? Where TV shows, streaming shows, like the k- stories they're able to tell, the accessibility and reach that they have, like through Netflix and Amazon, whatever. It's just like such a golden era for these kind of shows to exist and come out. And like, if like if this show was on cable, would you have found it necessarily, or even checking it out? Like, you know, would we have been talking about it? I don't know. It it's an interesting. Uh, it's an it's a interesting time where like these kind of shows are, are the ones having the most impact i feel you know that have a little piece of history and also a corner of the pie that is not usually you don't know, discuss mm-hmm. being chess really for example and luckily for the show um chess is going through a surge of popularity right now um after like the, it blew up on twitch and and more and more people seem to be finding time to play it during the pandemic when they're stuck in their houses, like yeah. I was. So tell you, hit me up on iMessage, bro. I'll play. All right, all right. I'll get into it. I'm, I want to get better, man. Make an account on Lee Chess. Uh, I'll show you. But oh, this guy's this guy's trying to get me into chess now, like real chess. I'm all trying right. to get more people to chess. I, I I truly believe like chess is just a. It's a very frustrating time for me because I'm not that good and good at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um. Like and I think I, it, I always, it always comes mad. down to, I yeah I I don't want to talk about chess for any longer than this, but I think it always comes down to that like ability to recognize patterns and like predict your opponent's moves. And I'm I'm such a frustrated person, like constantly like I'll be frustrated, and that's why I meditate. That's why I'm just trying to keep my mind like at balance. So like people who can, I think, excel in those two aspects of like predictability and uh, 
patience or whatever that's chess is your game so I'm, I'm and that's what i was also saying like chess is just like that's why it's introduced to kids you know it's like a life lesson in a game like there you go once you can get good at this you'll you'll master a lot of like important aspects of life or whatever 100 um, percent. so yeah if anything this show is like uh, just gonna bring chess back into people's minds and that's cool you know Anyways, that's pretty much all I watched this week, other than what our main discussion is for later. Yeah. Um, and you said that you watched that in a night, pretty much, too, right? I watched that in two days. Okay. Because I had to take a break, because it is depressing. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. I also uh, binge-watched uh, an entire show in one night, which is rare for me. I, I don't usually, like, have the attention span to hold on to a show any longer, you know, than the pilot anymore. But, um... Yeah, the show I watched was Barry on HBO. Uh, we talked about it a bit before, right? So you know a little bit about it. But yeah, I don't know. It's I guess because it's not like a Netflix show. It's not something that is that mainstream talked about. But I was really a big fan of it. Uh, kind of going through really short episodes, 30-minute episodes. So quick to watch. Um, but I was a big fan of it. And it's, it's made by Bill Hader, who is, I think, like a really underrated actor and creative person like in general um what what's bill Hader been in? like starred in or made where you know it's a bill Hader thing He's, he was in train wreck um as a big movie but i think this is his like his big kind of showcase uh creative kind of like piece uh, or like you know uh show or whatever um yeah, yeah no, I, I mostly just know him as the SNL guy, and and from what you've said, this right. is more of this is a dark comedy, but it's it's a more serious sort of role for him to assume. It's it's sort of a step up in his career. Yeah, it's and he's I was just looking at his filmography. He's been kind of I guess getting into the more serious roles. Like he was recently in it, <clears throat> sorry, in it chapter two. Um, so yeah, he's stepping away from the SNL era, I guess, or the comedy thing and and just getting into like some serious roles but that's not to say that this show is fully serious or takes itself too seriously um it's a it's a dark comedy i think is what i said before to you and like really true to the bone dark comedy um where yeah like it just doesn't take itself too seriously it's a really fun show and kind of um to me i guess a kind of thoughtful really a personal drama um so real quickly what it's about is this guy Bill Hader plays a guy named Barry the title character who he's a retired marine and he works as a hitman kind of with his uncle this guy named Fuchs and it's basically just them two who is like this really sketchy uncle and nephew hitman business and the dynamic that they set up is like the uncle is a really greasy kind of character like a really a smoocher like a a bottom feeder you know like he has you could tell like this is a guy that had like no life skills or no kind of talent to, to, for him to do anything so he's mooching off the skills of Barry which is to kill people you know to put it to put it blank but like a really skilled killer and Barry is just like the way they kind of the way he's characterized is like this really you know almost a al not aloof but i guess like 
he doesn't know better. Like he he's just almost like a kid who doesn't know what to do with his life and figured out I'm good at this one thing, so let me run with it. And people tell him he's good with it, so he just he's which is that one thing is killing him. So yeah, um, and like the the relationship between him and his uncle is like it's really interesting. It's kind of the through line of the show where Barry's like really, you know, like trying to figure out what if what he's doing is right or wrong. And like the idea that he's coming from the army and it balances those themes of, well, people go to the army and kill people. And, you know, what's what's to say that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. And, and so it kind of balances a lot of ideas of of that while being a comedy, which is weird, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's um, a that's a very odd mix, I would say, um, balancing some really dark themes such as having no path in life and and the only path being killing and and assassinations and you know all this comedy yeah. surrounding that seems like it it seems like it's sort of an impossible task but from what you've said it does it quite well yeah and i think like that's bill Hader's like kind of comedic tone really carries it through because you're right it's it seems almost like too impossible to accomplish like it's it it makes fun of the fact that you know like the barry i don't want to spoil it because i would really love for people to check it out and share their thoughts on it but uh like barry's not a quote-unquote hero or a good guy he does some very questionable shit in the show um when they do a good job in you know getting to care for the guy i think the word that popped in my head is um just to inter- interject to the point that you also said was it's kind of melancholic or like the type of character he is where you feel like you feel kind of bad for him um because he he's like a loner you know he spent time in the army so he didn't necessarily have the kind of life that you know that we are necessarily living so something is missing from him he he's searching for that it's it's really visible that he's he's looking for let's say love you know it's that's probably one thing that it is he's looking for love he's looking for companionship so it's yeah it's like a really weird place to take a comedy these kind of personal very um you know down to who a person is kind of issues <clears throat> i believe and like what 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 your purpose is and anyways like that i'm getting into all the kind of deep stuff i don't want to deter from the fact that this is like a truly funny show um from the first episode like on like how they introduce the premise right so he's a hitman like i said and from the pilot the way they set it up his his mark his first mark in the first episode is um this guy who an actor essentially he's or a wannabe actor he's in acting school and he has to infiltrate the acting class to like get to to, to see this guy's uh his day-to-day and his like routine or whatever and when he gets to the acting class he's he gets kind of called upon to do a to do a, a monologue or a line and when he's doing it he kind of gets the vibe of of this is something he's comfortable in and he gets the uh the the camaraderie of his classmate or of the classmates not his classmates at the time but of the people that are around him and and they're cheering for him so that uplifts him and he's from there he jumps to the point of like yeah i, I think i want to be an actor now and so that show kind of takes off from that that moment that point where he wants to like leave the path of being a hitman behind to take up being an actor um, and working in Hollywood. 
and it's really self-aware of the fact that it's like a dumb idea to be not a dumb idea sorry i shouldn't say it like that it's a it's like a very um non-typical idea yeah it's a very yeah, dreamlike yeah. idea yeah it's a very dreamlike idea and all the characters that fill that space are like very self-absorbed in that dream it's uh it, it has some fun characters that you know they're not they're not typecast people they're not very cliche written characters uh there there's this one girl who's in it uh who's like a modern day you know a girl like on tiktok that you would see who's super talkity like i forgot her name i should probably uh say the name but yeah anyways i, I don't want to get too hung up on it anyways the show is a fantastic show because it like you said also it balances those kind of the heaviness of life essentially and and just balancing it out with humor um it has a lot of elements that i think you know people could enjoy it has like this really funny gang element where you know the movie logan oh yeah with wolverine so you know the guy that uh in that movie or actually that's that's probably harder for you to recognize the character from more recent movie that he was in in blade runner 2049 you know the bald guy who gets his neck snapped um and he's helping ryan gosling find the records oh fuck oh he doesn't have a name in the movie and he honestly doesn't have like a name in any of the stuff he's in that's why i can't like oh that guy out, um, i wrote the actor's name down so i can say the actor's name but if you want to like google it his name is um anthony kerrigan and he plays the bald uh, mutant in logan and he plays the bald guy in um blade runner 2049 and anyway so he plays in this show barry he plays a a chechen gangster who who like he's basically like barry um but working for the chechenians so like there's a chechenian gang boss who's kind of like he mirrors fuchs the uncle um, and he kind of abuses um, the fuck. I'm not saying the name, so it's hard for me to remember it. But oh yeah, his name is Noho in the show. So he kind of like abuses Noho verbally, and, like tells him he's a he's an idiot. And Noho, like the the character, like he plays is so funny because he's supposed to be this gangster, but he's like a super nice gangster. And even though Barry tries to kill him, like he's he he wants to be his friend really bad. Like he wants to have friends, so it's like a really weird show um and i i don't know why like it, it strongly appealed to me for those reasons but also for the fact that it's really clear that it takes a lot of influence from like cinema in general there's a lot of um references to like classic cinema movies like akira kurosawa movies and this all comes from the fact that and which i found really recently is bill Hader is a huge cinephile you know so like it's this is like not something I guess I was really aware of coming from Bill Hader on SNL or whatever else he's been in, but, and the episodes that he directed in this are like really, really fantastically directed, uh, you know, episodes of TV, um, everything. Okay. I, I should be specific, not just say everything, but, um, the shots I'll start with there are like some of the most meticulous, like shot composition, camera movements, um, cut editing cut choices like it seems like such a surgically made show um you could tell like whoever was behind the camera and writing the words on the script had really thought out everything to kind of drive the action drive the the 
conflict because you're, you know, from the pilot, like I said, you're really in Barry's shoes with him from that moment on. And there are a few times in the middle of the season and stuff where it kind of slows down and and gets you kind of stuck, I guess, with the, um, like just kind of like small side mission kind of things. Um, but yeah, like I, I really like how Bill Hader as a director is able to place you in the, as an audience in the position of the character. And like, you really feel the choices that he has to make. Um, so yeah, I think like, I don't know, it might not be for everybody. It definitely spoke to me on those bases though, for like being such a technically well-made show, well-written, but also having those elements of like this really kind of somber and personal comedy, uh, but still immensely funny, you know, and some shocking moments also some really questionable, some moments where you start to question, uh, like, like who you're rooting for almost like who is, uh, who this guy is that you thought you've been following along. So yeah, I think I don't want to get into spoilers too much, but if, if you check it out or if anybody checks it out going on, uh, I think they're on season two now. So I'm, I'm for sure going to check out season two, but, um, it's on HBO and HBO max and crave. If you're on any of those stuff. Alrighty. I'll check, also, I, I, I also actually want to want to talk about a I want to talk about a game that I, I've been playing this week. Um, so you showed me Doom, right? Like one of our first episodes, we were talking about Doom. So I'll uh, I'll toss it almost like remix 360 cyber cyberpunk remix of that game, right? It's uh, this new game came out called Ghost Runner, and it's basically like if cyberpunk blade runner and doom had a baby and they said oh and ghost of tsushima if they were all like let's have a a giant orgy and produce a game child it would be it would be ghost runner yeah um it's got good reviews essentially it's it's got good reviews so far it it's got huge oh that's a good good point to bring up reviews i should say about barry also Barry's got ninety nine percent reviews on Rotten Tomato. It's a it's pretty critically well received show. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So whoever really cares for those kind of informations, there it is. Um, but yeah, it's Ghost Runner. I haven't seen the reviews for Ghost Runner. Um, I actually haven't since I like I I've been playing it. I haven't paid attention to the out, outside world's reception of it at all, because I've just been having a really fun time playing it. To be honest with you, I'm looking um, at some gameplay now, and it's it's not what I expected. It it. Yeah, it literally just looks like a cyberpunky doom, which is crazy. Samurai it's swords exactly, and all. It's, it's yeah, look yeah. crazy. I think like so they took their inspiration from Doom's like, you know, like the feeling you get when playing Doom. I think they're like, let's try and do something like that, but instead of guns, let it be a katana, because nobody really tries to do games with a katana. It's 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 such a challenge because you know it's. If you it, and and the way this game sets it up, right? Everybody else around you has guns. All the people you're fighting off against, and you have a sword. You have a katana, and if they shoot you, right, you die instantly. It's one shot, one kill. So there's there's some really interesting game mechanics going on here. That um, you you know you can't die in this game. Well, if when you die, essentially like you respawn right away. That's that's the plus you. When you die, you respawn quick. You get right back into it. So you're constantly, you're constantly engaged with progressing. Like you're, the game just wants you to get past where you are. But you should be well aware, like like with the Doom, like with other kind of platforming games like this. You gotta, 
it's all about trial and error. You got to die a couple times to figure out what the right path, what the right, what your approach is going to be. And, you know, at least that was for me. People might be like racing through it and have, you know, well, that's what I was going to say. It's like the speed runs that are being made for this game must be absolutely insane at this point. Cause I'm just looking at all the, this game would be, yeah, it seems like this game would be a speedrunners like wet dream. Yeah. There's a lot of movement mechanics within this game. It seems there's, um, there's definitely like a perfect way to handle each situation and for people to sort of figure that out and execute it all at once to get like the perfect run. That's going to be cool to see. Yeah. That's that's what I've been having the most fun with is like, you know, you you brought it up the advanced kind of, I I shouldn't call it advanced movements, but it's very simple movement mechanics, which is, you know, you can wall run, you can grapple um, onto different platforms, onto different wall running platforms and, you, you can jump and the most important one being time manipulation uh which is like the key aspect of the character's like power i guess he can slow down time and and like like the flash kind of zip in between spaces um and it's it's not an op kind of move it's not an op power because it's timed it has limited uses you can't just spam it so how you use it is important and where you use it on what kind of enemies you use it on that all matters so yeah from a game mechanic standpoint game design it's like it's so perfectly simplistic for the goal it's sorry what was that is it, is it simplistic in gameplay stocks it, it seems like a very simple game but like very. the the, the mm. core mechanics are so well flushed out and so crisp that that almost doesn't matter right yeah it's exactly it's so well flushed out that it, it comes off as uh simple like it comes off as seamless um yeah it, it, it really it it's different from doom um i'll get into the differences but it gave me the feeling of what like that first doom 2016 you know gave me of, of like the flow state that you get into from playing a video game i think this nails that and um like every aspect of the game dis- design it feeds into that kind of flow state or to induce that flow state which is you know things like sound design and score like god it's if, if you're into like synth wavy music or, or sounds and lo-fi beats or whatever you know those kind of things this game is it's full of those audio visual references to just it, it it has a set audience in mind it has a set person or kind of gamer in mind i think mm-hmm. um so if you're into those kind of things it, it everything kind of brings you into a very meditative state when you're playing this game yeah so can um, you can you study to the soundtrack have you started studying to the soundtrack yet to this one not yet no i'm still on i'm still on tenant soundtrack right now oh, really? oh. you. hell yeah dude i found um you know how some youtube channels they make like radio channels where it's just a live stream of yeah a playlist like lo-fi beats or something yeah, yeah. um i found one called doom radio so that that's helped me a lot study oh that's huge i i would not be surprised doom's music is pretty iconic yeah it's um do music to instead of lo-fi music to chill slash study to it's do music to lip rip slash chair to <laughs> so, that's awesome yeah it's awesome yeah just to, or like headbang to just while you're in your room when nobody's there oh yeah headbanging is yeah. essential when studying so yeah that's how you get your ideas flowing yeah but um also some more like some quick points i want to bring up there's some visuals in this game that like are visuals i've never seen in video games before um which is like for you know i don't think this is a triple a release game or anything like that but just for the kind of innovative um kind of visuals that they threw at me i was very impressed right 
And when you boot up this game, the opening shot that like the first opening frames are one of those visuals that are just super eye catching and and throws you right into the game literally. Um, so yeah, look out for those. Like there's some level designs based on these uh, kind of like cyber mind, like. I don't know how to describe it, but it's basically what like Elon Musk is trying to do with his Neuralink, like establishing Google in your head. And, and he has this cyber as a gamer, you're going through this cyber level, which is all within the character's head. And, and, and the way it's all visualized is blew, blew my mind. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to play this game until cyberpunk comes out whenever they decide to drop that game. Essentially. Fuck sakes. It's a good, it's a good teaser trailer for, for cyberpunk 2077. Okay, yeah, Cyberpunk that's... has to at this point. I'm just gonna put this out there, and then we can move on. Cyberpunk has to at this point um, be one of the greatest games I've ever played because it has to. Yeah, it has to reach that. Eh? How mm-hmm. how it's, they've had over seven years of development now, so it's like, mm. I, and it, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just frustrated, um, but not angry. Just because I want to play it soon enough. Um, yeah. Some people are really angry sending death threats to CD Projekt I think, Red. Yeah, that's so excessive. That's so dumb and excessive. Like, I don't mind talking about this for a sec because I think this is the most, like, anticipated game for anybody who plays video games um, for, like, you know, since GTA Five, I think. And I've talked to, like, I've talked to you about this a bunch. I've talked to my friends who are primarily just, like, Call of Duty or FIFA gamers, just, like, which are, you know, not heavy into video games, but play, like, the very casual, minimal video games that they play. And everybody seems to be hyped for this game. Like, this is going to be uh, a generational game. So, from my perspective, take the time that they need to make the game good and make it a classic and make it as great as it needs to be. Because I think everything I've seen from CDPR, the the developers of the game, it, they seem very genuine about it. Uh, they seem like they're very pro-consumer and very pro-the game. So... I, I'm I'm fine with it coming out in December. I I'd be upset. I'd start to get upset if they pushed it once again to like 2021. Um, but it's it's like yeah, it's it's got me hyped. It's even the even the pushback has got me hyped because it's like, what? Well, how big is this day one patch gonna be? Because that's what they're doing right now, essentially. Damn. They're they're updating for what the day one patch would be. Uh, the only other game that would get me as excited as cyberpunk because i expect cyberpunk to hook me like only one game has before which is skyrim um mm. i've yeah i've heard that comparison before yeah. where the yeah. only other game you that might get me been, this yeah, hype you might be, actually yeah would be the sequel to skyrim which uh-huh. elder scrolls 6 which is being isn't made com- isn't that a thing yeah okay there's there's only been one cinematic trailer we have no idea yeah that was years ago too that was just bethesda sort of being um trying to get good pr after yeah a couple Just disastrous a teaser years. before yeah before a game was even in development yeah so um and <laughs> elder scrolls is going to take forever to come out because they said a game a new ip from bethesda called starfield yeah I, i'm looking forward to that game which has only had one trailer no gameplay mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. supposed to come out even before the new elder scrolls does so mm-hmm. i don't and nobody knows when that's coming out no so that's no release say no nothing yeah it's also been eight years since skyrim so yeah i'm i'm excited about what a game like cyberpunk means though coming out in the tail end of this generation because i see it almost like 
it's like I'll compare it a lot to GTA 5 because well that was a generational game that was right at the tail end of the PS3 Xbox 360 era and it kind of was the platform that all games coming out on the PS4 and Xbox one kind of had to compete with and you know they're still marketing GTA 5 for the PS5 and Xbox one it's it's and I don't doubt cyberpunk will be one of those games I think their plan is to like they're going to make expansion DLC packs. They'll eventually come up with an online mode. Um, so it will be a kind of, you know, decade-long game to play, which has me hype. Like, you know, just on the basis that it has three different character point of views to start off from. Um, yeah, it, it looks super sick. And, yeah, and the point I was getting at was <clears throat> this game coming out now at the tail end of this generation where I think they're not really like they, they it, it probably would make more sense to for it to drop next year with the next gen stuff and be fully integrated into next gen but it gets me even more excited for the games to come out next year because it has to top this essentially like it has to, all the next generation games have to have this as you know their kind of baseline of if whether you're open world or cinematic storytelling or beautiful visuals with ray tracing or you know whether whatever your thing is as as a game they all will have to be like okay well cyberpunk did that at that level and we kind of have to push the bar further you know like with how every game after gta 5 did you with 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 the, all the things i just mentioned um so yeah i think just to bring it close to those points right there cyberpunk's been delayed again and the hype is not dying down for me i'll be honest me neither i'm just extremely frustrated because i was supposed to play it this fucking month Oh, but you know what? What is coming out this month? Spider-Man Miles Morales on the PS4 and PS5. So that that I that's what maybe why I'm not upset. Also, I have a game to look forward to anyways this year or, or this month. I do not. To play. And all you my favorite games are getting delayed. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately. Are in oh man, shitty development. So oh, we didn't even talk about Halo in this episode. Jamie. Let's not even. Let's not <laughs> even. Let's uh, let's just let's save that for Reddit. <sighs> Let's just let Reddit implode some more. Oh, yeah. Also, you don't even know this about Halo, but they they do not have the good graces with the community right now. 343 hasn't for years, but they mm-hmm. had the fucking audacity to say that they were going to charge money for armor skins. In this new one coming up? Yeah. You have to pay money oh. for certain colors. Wow. Are you fucked? That's... Oh. Oh. How are they going to be saying shit like that now? Mm-hmm. Like... It's... Like, are, are they aware of what people are thinking and talking about? Like, wow, that's such no, a... No, they... I, blind, I, like, move to make. There was this arrogance after the initial gameplay reveal where people were pretty yeah, critical sure. of the gameplay and the developers, like, what do you, do you guys don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, they were very cocky about, oh, this is, guys, come on. This yeah. is, like, from a release that we did last year. Like, yeah. don't even shit on it. Yeah, and then the game got delayed, and then they had to then bring in Staten to sort of sort of get some, like, that was a big PR move. I don't know how much influence he's going to have on the campaign, because they brought in Staten, the old Bungie guy, to do the campaign stuff. And, yeah. like, the, as far as I know, the campaign's done now. So, how, like, he was on for maybe a month and a half. How much shit did he do? Like, 
And then that's what I'm wondering. There's there and these are lead guys. Mm-hmm. Like they're and, switching and now, out lead guys a couple months out of the supposed release. Yeah. Well, what kind of changes? What kind of retooling are they doing right now? And I guess this sort they of must goes be themselves with yeah. their plan. Like they want this to be like a ten-year platform game, which is. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's so so was Destiny. That's Destiny was also yeah. supposed to be a 10-year platform game. Didn't work out. Yeah. So um I don't know. I my my expectations are incredibly low. And we I've, I haven't even seen multiplayer yet. So Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We E3 2021. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right, moving on. Chady, I'm amped, bro. I'm amped. This you know why? This is uh, the start of a new weekly series. Yeah, but bigger than that, it's a specific weekly series that that has me giddy, if I should say. Has me giddy. We're going to be talking about Star Wars on this show for the entirety of the Mandalorian's run. I just said something so obvious. <laughs> yeah. I tied, yeah, but no, I'm, I'm amped for that reason. We're going to be talking about Star Wars a lot on this show now, which is, for good or bad, going to lead to... to arguments and disagreements or uh shared opinions or whatever but I'm gonna, it's gonna make for some rich and lively conversations i hope talking about star wars is such a fucking minefield for me at this point in my life i know it's i know and i you just want to see me blow up you motherfucker i i it's for me it's like navigating the nine the minefield you know but uh it's it's yeah uh let's let's get into it cheney we're talking about the mando the mandalorian uh, back on Disney Plus, back on our, back in our hearts, back in our minds, after what I would say, and I, what I think you would agree to, a strong first season, a strong return of Star Wars to its form, hmm. I would say, with that first season of Mando. Okay. Here's my thoughts on the first season. What's that? Here's my thoughts on the first season. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to hear your thoughts. I thought it was okay. I thought it was decent. Um, I thought it was only decent. I thought it was a step in the right direction. I still think they need many steps within the right direction, but I think everyone was so excited for to for the Mandalorian because of the state that Star Wars was in before, where anything decent or anything okay was going to be sort of propped up on this pedestal as being amazing. And I'm not saying it's not bad. I did enjoy the first season. Um, I, I felt it lacked in certain areas. And, um, well, they already addressed one of that. I thought the length of the episodes was complete bullshit. I was like, it's so blue ball-y. Um, I just wanted... Yeah. Like, <laughs> Good way of putting it. It, it was so blue ball-y. Um, there's, it was not a lot of content in the first season, despite the amount of episodes. Which was fair enough. You know, this was like the trial run of like, the most expensive tv show ever made so of course they mm-hmm. weren't gonna like pump in these hour-long episodes like they're gonna do now which is great um but yeah, yeah the blue ball is about to be satisfied with season two there was um certain things within the first season that i didn't like there were some characters that i thought were just completely annoying kind of pointless i thought they weren't even well acted in some areas um i even forget her name but that, are you talking about? Are you talking about the mechanic from Tatooine? No, I'm not talking about the mechanic for Tatooine. How dare you? No, I didn't mind her. She she's a fun little side character. Um, yeah. I'm talking about you, that the, the about shock that? trooper girl. The shock trooper girl. Oh, Gina 
like the main girl in the show. Yeah. I thought really? I thought she was annoying. I couldn't I couldn't uh, stand her. I thought she really fits like she fits well as a rebel, rebel trooper. She has like the right attitude in my opinion. Uh I, it's it's the 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 power levels throughout that show are so weird. Like uh, I don't know. There's there's really lots of minor sort of I call them brain goblins where they sort of like just pick away my brain and I, I just can't let them go um, with regards to that. But um, I don't know. I, there's something that I, I was hoping within the first season that would happen um, in terms of episode structure or, or just show structure in general. I was hoping of more of a fantasy adventure show not necessarily a plot focused show just a whimsical adventure with mando and baby yoda and we did get some of those episodes and those ended up being my favorite episodes but mm-hmm. um some of the more plot focused episodes were like really lacking in my mind and um s- certain episodes like really drag like the first two episodes are really strong three four not so much um so i i thought it was a good trial run for something that could definitely be improved on. And um, the first episode in season two is already sort of approved, like improved on it for me as well. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's. I think that the show needs to keep to its strong suits, which is the strong suits of Star Wars in general. It's just keeping the story simple, keeping the story sort of tried and true to the hero's journey and, and classical storytelling, but use yeah. the Star Wars setting in a really effective way. Yeah. So it's, it's about using that world as a, as like the sandbox, essentially. Yeah. Your characters. It, and your it's a platform story. to tell fun stories. And when you have the Mandalorian, you can yeah. have the platform to tell, Hey, I don't know, maybe a heist story, which is my favorite episode your in favorite season episode, one. Yeah. So 100% with, with your guy, Bill Burr. Yeah. Um, but here's where I disagree with you on that point, uh, with the point that you had previously made, where I, you know, I think the Mandalorian season one was all that of, you know, simple stories, really just core, like very principal stories. Um, there's a village on some planet that's getting attacked by an ATST and the villagers need saving, or a heist where a prisoner needs to be broken out, or there's a bounty that needs to be bountied or whatever, you know, all simple premises in the episodes that in, in, in a way felt like short films, you know, to me, at least the, the, the the structure of the Mandalorian, which I think is its strongest point is that it's an anthology series. It's not, it's not too serialized or episodic where the previous episode episode necessarily carries directly into the next one. But it, it almost like it'll pick you up on some world in some circumstance where the Mando and Baby Yoda or like whatever, you know, the characters are in some situation that's not previously related. So it, each episode to me in that first in that first season, you know, for the most part felt super independent, super like composed or like or like just in its own world in that way. And you explored just all these different aspects of the galaxy through that structure you explored bounty hunters like to such a depth you explored like what what are people in this galaxy like you know like i think that's something i think just star wars fans in general have been wanting more exploration of like what is this galaxy like what what are 
what are people that aren't named Skywalkers get up to on, on a Friday night, you know? And I think, like, the way that this post-Episode 9 Star Wars in general has been going is it's it's, it's interesting in, in getting those flavors because it's, it's not George Lucas's voice necessarily telling them. These are essentially, like, kind of fan films where filmmakers inspired by George Lucas's story are stepping into the world and like borrowing the world to tell a story in it so and and it feels like that it's it hits super close to those George Lucas stories for me though I mean they have Dave Filoni and John Favreau really taking care of the title in my opinion just and I'll bring it up with examples in, in episode, the episode we're talking about today but in the writing and in, in the tone in the filmmaking everything is for me, everything says Star Wars and represents what Star Wars is. Um, but let's get into this episode, in season two, episode one, where finally, I think, where we can both agree on this, we got an hour-long Star Wars episode on. Yeah. Know, not half an hour. No, but yeah. But a full-fledged out true arc of an episode. This Where for me, it yeah. felt like a short film in, in, in true sense. This this is definitely the the length the episodes should be. Um, that was like the main complaint within season one. Like these episodes are too short. Like it, you're trying to cram so much into such a short amount of time. Um, and I it, the show benefits so much from that hour long episode. I think so too. So mm-hmm. already, um, I think season two is going to be better. I know that's saying much just from the episode length, but like the episode length really was a big problem for me in season one. To the point where, like, I think when they have more time and more room to work out certain ideas and to drive home these simplistic stories, um, I think it's just going to do nothing but help the show. So good on good on that. Yeah, yeah. It's less restrictive, I guess, on the story where you know they can tell a short form story, like in a true sense, in 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 the time limit that it, you know it might deserve. What like I really like the the Seven Samurais episode in season one, where um, the the village is getting um, they're getting uh, well there's two I think there's one where they're getting no sorry I was thinking about Clone Wars for a second it's uh, the ATSD episode um, on the village and that's where I think it benefits from short torn short um, like stories essentially or like a short structure where that story would never worked in, in, in a movie. It, it, like, a lot of these stories, you couldn't necessarily see it fit within a movie, or a lot of the time they spend in these kind of small pieces of the galaxy, you know. Uh, but a show like this really gives you the opportunity to flesh out the world and the worlds and the characters way deeper. Okay. Um, one one and, complaint, and, and, though, about yeah. episode one. And, yeah. and I know I know why we went back to Tatooine, but can we stop going back to Tatooine, please? I was see, it's interesting you started with the complaint because I was gonna say like right off the bat we're back to Tatooine, like our favorite planet. Like Star Wars is fucking love child is Tatooine at this point. It's it's the most been to planet. It will be the most been, to, and there's an Obi Wan show coming out where it's all set on Tatooine. So get used to it, buddy. Fuck sake, we're, we're on Tatooine for a while. Ah. Uh... I think it's, about how easy it is to make anything on in a desert, right? Like I don't actually I don't know how easy or it's probably hard as fuck. It's, it's definitely hard as fuck, but judge, like, but, but like, yeah, like you said, it's like it's, you have this wonderful platform, this wonderful show to be able to explore things that we've never seen before, 
And yet, how many times have we been back to Tatooine in this show already? Yeah. Is it three times? Twice? I forget. I like, okay, but in this episode, we, they did something different with Tatooine. Well, I know. We saw, I know why they we were. We didn't see Moss Eisley. We didn't see the, any of the Moss that we've seen. We went to a different one. <laughs> right. And they did do some cool stuff. Some some cool stuff. And they did set up for sort of a mini plot line that might happen throughout the season, which would for only sure, make sense sure on up. Tatooine. So, yeah. I get that's it. why that's why we're on Tatooine, right? So I hope I hope the ending assured you why they they decided to bring us back to Tatooine. Yes, it did. Uh, I I definitely want to start with the opening of this episode, like the immediate opening, uh, where it's I think it's unclear what planet they're on, um, but some like some shady planet, I guess, and. Everything like from the setup of the from the episode, um, you know, the Mandalorian it's always related to as like a Western space epic or whatever. Uh, yeah, Western space that's what Star Wars is, but the Mandalorian specifically is a Western. Um, and this just from the opening, it, it's giving it's feeding you that Western effect of you know, this the Mandal looking over the sundown on, on a town that's a shady scum villain filled with villainy you know talent and you get all of this like with no characters other than the mando and baby yoda walking down the road um it's like truly like i'll get into the who like the directing and who the director was but you know obviously well experienced and well knowledge enough to know the traits of a western and like just the shadow alley the the lamp posts that are like creating these kind of lights and shadows it, it all just screams like this noir western of when they're walking into the cantina and um that's when we're introduced to the guy mando's meeting uh which might be the first cyclops we've seen in star wars that was kind of weird to see like a straight up like goonies type of cyclops yeah that is that weird for you well like i it worked for me because of like the practical effects were incredible and they're sort of like mixed in some cg as well so i, I immediately yeah. was like okay they even they upped the budget even more than absolutely the, up the budget yeah yeah, it, it amazes me that they film all of this on a, on like virtual sets, and and like in one location most of the time. And in the if you haven't seen the Disney Gallery series on how they make this show, like it's you gotta watch it. It's amazing, uh, which is kind of what I mean when when I say like they're bringing it back to that classic Star Wars, right? They are leaning heavily on George Lucas's philosophy of practical filmmaking and using real sets that and and character models that character or the uh, actors can interact with but also at the same time progressing filmmaking i think that was george lucas's biggest you know trade as a filmmaker which is to further filmmaking and you know bigger than episodes seven eight and nine were i think the mandalorian as a show how it how it is going to advance storytelling on a visual medium like through the the technology they're using um, the CGI, uh, or sorry, the yeah, the CGI screen, the um, giant display that they use, essentially to replace green screen, is amazing, and and it's so seamless in these shots and, and throughout the entire episode. You, like, in my first viewing of it, I didn't pay attention to any of the CGI. Obviously, I just wanted to watch it, but even when I was looking for, you know, where those kind of compositional lines 
and scenes would be i couldn't find them like it's so well it's just so well uh put together um but anyways we're, we're in this uh basically um gamori and wwe wrestling match going on yeah where, yeah which was pretty <laughs> funny because like i love it it like to to <laughs> to be honest the the costumes for the pig guys were so episode six so really not it, it, not it's them that it's the gamorians from episode six yeah. it's like and yeah it's like the same aesthetic as and like you can tell like they probably ripped them out of the 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 basement yeah. that they had them in they're not even like trying to improve on the costumes to be honest which is you know fair enough like it kind of works in this context because i get it it's star wars and you kind of want that yeah. aesthetic but um it, it's a it's a good opener it's a good tone setter you know with the bandos it's a good to- yeah still a bad tone setter i i believe it's a it's a stronger opening than that first episode i wouldn't in, say uh, that in season one i would say that i wouldn't say that. i would say that's super strong because i'll tell you why because as much as that first episode opening wanted to give you the tone of and you you said it, it it's a strong tone setter as much as the show wants to set the tone of western and how much of a badass the mando is this opening doubles down on it, i believe from and i think this whole episode doubled down on season one in total but you know from on every level of the filmmaking on every level of everything it from the music it's better i think like in this scene uh the badassery that the mando does better in my opinion it's it's the entertainment value here is just way cooler like we're watching gamorian wwe while the mando is like about to let shit rip you know essentially like when do you see this shit in star wars or in anything like the the you remember the bit when he's jumping off the out of the ring like like the undertaker yeah that, like literally <laughs> that was like that's my favorite wrestling match of all time by the way which one's that? Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. Res- Versus uh, the under- oh, that's exactly that's yeah. the one I was thinking of because that's when he does. I mean, Undertaker does that move. I think in every WrestleMania. That was his. That was his worst one. Like that was his closest call. That was brutal. Yeah, he hits the cameraman in that one. WrestleMania. Yeah, the cameraman was supposed wow. to break the fall, but Shawn Michaels had to pull him in. He pulled him in. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. So oh, it, that it was, was a missed cue, but it ended up being like a, a crazy moment. Yeah. Anyways, and and we 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 get we get a bit of Star Wars vacation of that where. I'm I'm watching it come up here. I love the bit when the Gamorrean jumps over the ring. It's you can tell they had like a wrestling stunt guy there to say like here's the form you should be using because it's so like unarticulated for like what an alien in that kind of uh that body type would be doing. It's like such a gymnastics leap he does over the ring. It's so weird and funny, but I loved it. Yeah, it works. Uh, it works. It works. But sort of uh, uh moving on it, it, it's a good tone center not saying it's it's just because it's not, I, well i still think the tone center in season one is way better but that's not to say this isn't a good one it's like it's still yeah man is a badass and he's also really not a nice guy he's not a good guy no he's not he's a cool guy but he's not going to be your friend necessarily no like this is this one i mean it's more badass like the last move he does at the end like that just says it all of what you know kind of what we're talking about he just leaves the guy hanging for the pit of wolves to kind of go for him okay i'm not your friend bitch yeah exactly not here for you exactly he gave him this chance he, he said i'll you know i'll let you live and what a way to set the tone that's what that's that's how you set a tone this is a master class in how to set a tone this opening that, that's my take on it it's um it's a super strong opening to carry us forward into into 
almost like a differently paced episode. Like it, it doesn't the episode doesn't get uh, this dark again. You know, it's kind of much more brighter. No, it's forward. it's more of a classical adventure. Right, like, much more like a, a, yeah. in a literal sense because like the most cl- okay i'm gonna go sort of like the overarching plot line of this episode yeah where it's like the most basic story of all time is man goes to slay the dragon and gets a reward for doing yeah. so there's a literal fucking dragon in this episode and yep, in like crate dragon yeah in like yeah. classic dragon storytelling sense the dragon's only weakness is the belly same thing with the dragon in this episode um, i was gonna ask you did this feel like an arthurian story to you or like something of that caliber like a medieval you know it, it wasn't pulling like you know star wars is notorious for pulling from like japanese cinema of like classic stories kira kurosawa very famous for using like you know hidden fortress seven samurai or or and just in a broader sense, very classic stories. Is, Mando is is very noticeable from pulling from those. But was this story that they're pulling from? Because I got that sense too. It's a very primal story of, you know, saving the community from the beast or rescuing from um, the beast for that prize. It's this beautiful um, marriage between. It's a fantasy. It's a very big fantasy story there. It's it's this beautiful marriage between a classic Western story because the basic Western plot outline is stranger walks into town. Um, yeah. there's a problem stranger solves problem leaves town that's classic there's a marshal there's yeah. all of that western yeah all that that's classic yeah. western and then it, it sort of marries that idea to like the medieval story to where mm. there's a beast terrorizing the village and a brave knight needs to go and slay the beast and gets a reward whether it's gold or in a lot of cases virgins but like <laughs> it's uh it's 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 yeah that's our sound bite that's our sound okay, bite sorry. <laughs> um i did it's it's just the way things worked back then it's the way things were um hey don't hate us that's history yeah that's history so it, it yeah that's that's i couldn't stop thinking about that to where it's like the first sort of half of this episode is classic western and then they sort of take mm. this medieval turn into yeah i have we have to yeah. slay the dragon so quite literally um they call it and that's why i'm saying like star wars that's where star wars is the strongest is like these these classic formulas that work and they work because they're still being told to this day mixed in with the platform and the world that is star wars does nothing but make me happy so keep doing that um john favreau and dave filoni um it it, because it really worked for this episode this is probably one of my favorite episodes of the mandalorian ever and it's just the first one for sure for sure. I think, yeah, I, I think it doubles down on, that's what I was saying. It doubles down on the first season entirely because it's, you said it perfectly. It's the marriage of that, those two different stories that can only be told in a way that's fitting, like, you know, in a Star Wars world. It's so grand and epic, the type of worlds that you can visit and characters and the type of stories that you can tell that, you know, marrying a classical medieval fantasy to you know classic westerns it's it's new it's and it comes it like i was so i was so aware of that i'm like this is a very like even unlikely for star wars to kind of pull off like this because they've gone just a very safe like you know one mythical story i guess i wouldn't necessarily say that a lot of the star wars philosophy is the marriage of two different 
regions and two different eras of storytelling. You know what? You're right. Um, You're right. That's that's a big part of their philosophy. Um, yeah. If you even just look at the, at meets the Mandalorian as a character, he's very mm. much inspired uh, as a cowboy, but also as a mm. samurai at the same time. Mm-hmm. And just sort of mesh together into the Star Wars world. So, like, all they're doing is they're playing to their strong suits, which is which is good, which makes me have some sort of Absolutely. semblance of faith within fucking Disney when the right this, people are doing shit, that they understand yeah, what's... Yeah, I wouldn't even yeah. give the credit to Disney for that. That's just whoever is writing no, these episodes. I'm not and, giving credit. To, I'll give credit to Disney for one thing and one thing only, and that's their fucking wallet. So... Yeah, yeah. And, and having the faith to assemble a team that's this good, you know, and, like, backing them with creatively with this because yeah i take back what i said cheney you're absolutely right this is uh like star wars twist core really is um the marriaging of those kind of mythological ideas of east meets west or um yeah modernizing eastern kind of historically eastern stories with western ideas or western kind of uh settings and whatever and this this is um it's progressing that level forward. And I, I, I hope like, I really, really hope like just star Wars movies can be as good as this, ep- this one episode was, you know, um, because, you know, moving, moving on from that opening, like as soon as we get to Mos Pelago and Tatooine, uh, it's like a straight up Western bro. Like from, from the, le- from the struct, like the, le- the, the way they lay out the, the village, the sets, it's like the one road Western town, you know, that has the one bar, like the one cantina that every town folk comes and meets at. They have the classic, like Western bar guy. He has the accent and everything, but he's an alien. Um, I would even say, like, off, I'm not gonna lie. The the shot composition is so strongly Western in this movie. It, it's it, yeah, it brought me back it, to like Episode Two vibes a lot because of the the the, the, the speeder bike in the desert with the suns. It's just yes, yeah. It's so mm, ah. Oh, such a, a wide shot. It's, right a, it's a good shot. Um, oh yeah, when he's uh, when he's when he's speeding through Tatooine's desert. Yeah, yeah. And, and even like the the shot of him riding into town. That's so quintessential mm-hmm. cowboy, where everyone's just sort of like peeking over and looking at the stranger come in because they don't get a lot of people. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, wow, good shit and um, uh, intriguing. Even when uh. Sorry, go on. Sorry, intriguing yeah. plot point for him to bring there. Like he's looking for more Mandalorians to help him find Jedi, which is, which is a little weird because I wonder how that would work. But um, it seems to me like this guy doesn't know much of his history as a Mandalorian. Well, to be fair, he was like he he was adopted and he wasn't born in. But that's what they say about Mandalorians is that they're like all foundlings, right? Like that's the kind of lore that they gave out. Well, I thought I thought it was established in season one, like that the Mandalorians sort of got disbanded as the war went on. Like there was right as the when the Empire took over and they became more, uh, like hidden. Yeah, so they like they have less of a presence than they did in, let's say, the Clone Wars era. Yeah, which is um. Which is interesting. Which I'm really excited to see where they take the dark saber, because that shit's dope. And supposedly, supposedly this season's gonna tie into Clone Wars, just kind of from the behind the scenes stuff that we've been hearing with, you know, who's gonna be in this show and well, who's already, who's already been of, shown in this show. Yeah, yeah, with already who's being shown, the ideas that they're throwing out there. So that tickles my belly a little. Just the fact that Clone Wars information is gonna be spread. A little bit or like you know just tying into that those kind of stories 
really warms my feelings. Yeah, man. I need really I need more prequel stuff sort of fleshed out in this way. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the prequels are so rich that um, being able to flesh it out in 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 this sort of format in in the way that they you know the OTs got a lot of love and and how their ideas got fleshed out and modernized. I'd love to see that with the prequels some more. So I'm hoping a lot of the prequel era characters that are going to come into the show are going to provide that for me. So for sure, uh, that would be that would be spectacular. I'm ex- super excited. Like that's like what a sign of respect for them to, which I think they you know I think slowly that's what they're well, they're getting towards. with Dave Filoni in charge. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he knows it best. He knows that era the best, and he's done such a good job with the Clone Wars show that. I think the direction this is going, it the common complaint is always from fans that this is leaning too much on the nostalgia and that's taking away from it, or it's not it's not enough of the thing that I liked. And I think the man like the points that we've said where it's those classic Star Wars, what makes Star Wars stories a Star Wars story, it takes that, but also while not leaning on what came before by using it as your your you know um ammo like as your it's the right way to say it as the structure to your house essentially you know as the foundations that's what it's it's building off of what came before but you know not to say it doesn't have nostalgia like there's that r5 droid uh full-on nostalgia cameo right there that happened i clapped i um, clapped when i saw the thing right I'm glad. I'm glad it's it. You know, because I had a similar reaction where I was like, "Oh, that's cool! Like, that's like a really neat. That's it's just a neat callback to a a, a thought or like you know something from the original movies that's just the like the moment you thought died after that scene. But it's like, oh no, it's actually like that makes sense. We're on Tatooine. Like that droid could have had a life afterwards. So it's just things like that. Just like it brings warm feelings to my heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just. What else can we say about this show, man? I feel like I'm going to go in circles praising it. Jane, um, you, you take it forward from here. One thing. Is there any uh, criticisms? One specific thing I'd like to sort of pride them on, and I hope they keep up with this throughout the season, is not the over-reliance on Baby Yoda. They didn't embrace the meme so much to where it, it will become redundant or overused. Baby Yoda mm. was good in its simplicity, in its subtlety, and I hope they keep that throughout the show so well he was really minimally used in this episode almost not at all yeah good i don't like he's just he's visually used to kind of like give a give a reaction shot to or something yeah and that's what it should be used for like i loved it like until the story requires him i think that's fine like he's he's very much the kid being babysitted uh treat him kind of like that you know just the playful kid on the side that you know it i the shot just kind of came up where he's peering over the vase after after the dragon sweeps through the town and it's such a fu- it's just a fun shot to have there it's like the reaction shot of what you know a kid would be going through like a little kid would go through in that moment um and yeah just utilize i think in a, in a appropriate way one of my favorite shots in this episode is when it's like it's no dialogue but it's um <clears throat> when mando and uh after mando meets up with the fake mando uh, Cobb, Cobb Vanth, played by Timothy Oliphant. Good casting there, also. But he's playing. What a handsome devil that guy is! What a devil! Yeah, I know. He's also in um, 
He's in uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time. I know you want to check that out, so you'll see him in that when you watch that. Um, yeah, he's, he's like, coming off of that where he was just, like, a Marshall character in a Western coming to this. Like, it's such a, it's a natural transition. It's, like, it's such a kind of, like, feels bad to say it, but typecast for him where he's he plays such a good Marshall, like, just a badass. Like, he can stand toe-to-toe with the Mando, and you don't see him as a villain or necessarily a hero, but you see him as a guy trying to do his job well, you know? Like, that's who he is. And he's come across Boba Fett's armor from what we last saw in uh, Return of the Jedi after Boba Fett, we thought, died. Right. I wonder why Boba Fett didn't keep his armor. Good point. Maybe. I guess maybe we'll find find that out. Like, did he want to go into hiding? And if so, like, why would he go into hiding? And we will find it out. It's a... it's, that's a really good question cheney why didn't he keep his you would think maybe he would want to hold on to his jetpack or his guns or something but no he ditched everything and here's what i love right we got an explanation to how he got the armor they didn't cop out with an explanation they didn't say here's some legacy callback object thing that fans will love but we're not gonna you know mythify it and say that's a story for another time <sighs> No, here's the story of how Cobb Vanth got the Boba Fett armor and they showed it to us in a flashback. You know, it's not no Skywalker lightsaber moment where we still don't know how that shit, how that shit went down. Actually, there's a comic on that. Fuck off. Fuck what? (laughs) No, I was saying like they made a comic about how that happened. Oh, they made a comic on the lightsaber? Yeah, which is fucking stupid. I still thought like okay in my head it's still an answer then because I don't accept no, it being told in a comic. No, when no, it's <laughs> fucking stupid. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, don't get. Okay. I suspect nothing less. I'm trying not to be one. so negative because I do like Star Wars. It's just God, they made some fucked I think up decisions. When, when when you come off as like as it's passion, right? Like when you come off as like as much as uh, passion as we're coming off, it's it's because we're as we're. we're big fans of the yeah game. it's it's the same thing it's like when i'm criticizing the mandalorian it's not because i don't want to like it and it's the same reason why i criticize the boys it's because i it's because you really it's because i like really it. want to like it and if i don't yeah. voice or vocally say my criticisms i think i'm morally um at odds with myself because i need to voice those otherwise yeah where's the improvement going to come to this thing that i love well, yeah so you can't be a yes man to a corporation that you know, I think it's it's so important for like they can't be hearing yes when they do something bad. Like they need, like after you see something like the Snyder Cut go down, like it's it's given me more like confidence as just a regular person with a you know nothing but a, a cell phone to talk to Disney through or whatever. Like just to be able to voice my concerns about the things I like, because these as crazy as it might sound to people who might not care about it, but these stories are important and like the ideas of bringing in like Arthurian mythological fantasies with modern day Westerns and mixing them for a modern audience. Like what else is going to do that other than a star Wars and bring these kind of yeah. lessons or ideas into people's minds. These are, so. are important stories to tell and, and they, they have been told for thousands of years and there's a reason for that. It's because they resonate. There's a, they, they teach us things that um, sort of teach us how to be human in some aspect. Yeah. Um, that's something about the human experience where these stories 
are that integral to just keep getting passed down for yeah. years. And not know? to over romanticize some fantasy sci-fi thing, but like it really is at this point one of the best platforms to do that in because the whole basis of what it was built mm-hmm. off of was incorporating multiple of these myths, i.e. mythic morons, mm-hmm. into... Hmm. Is that where we got our name from? Possibly. In, into a modern setting and presenting it to people in a very accessible way, in a way that they're familiar with which is one of the biggest franchises in the world. So, yeah. You know what? It's a good start. This episode one's a good start. It, it, it It's a huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a good start. So, yeah. good on them and I hope they can keep it up. And uh that's my final thoughts on that. Oh, you you said your final thoughts. I hadn't even got to the dragon. Bro, we haven't even talked about that aspect ratio change. What? Boy, uh, this get out of here. film nerd. I had no idea what you're talking about. Oh, dude. Okay, I know you caught it, though, because everybody caught it. So they're going up against the dragon, the Kray dragon, finally after luring him out. And the shot, right? Are you watching it right now or are you not watching it? I'm not watching it, but I I know what you're talking about now. Okay. 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 So it's the shot where the the, um, Tusken Raiders are... Oh, by the way, I also like the scenes where Mando is casually communicating with the Tusken Raiders and is like fully boys with them. I'm like, that makes sense. He would be boys with the Tusken Raiders. Like I hated the Tusken Raiders as a kid, but it would make sense that the Mando is just chill with them. You know, anyways, he's, um, or the Tusken Raiders are like doing the dash away from the cave, just full sprint running. And we know that Kray Dragon is tr- like, you know, trembling the ground and coming behind them about to erupt into the scene and what we're not prepared for is in the single shot of every, you know, the Tusken Raiders running and the dragon about to emerge, you know, they go, okay, well, let's change the entire thing to an IMAX shot all within the take. Like, let's go from wide 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter, whatever they shot. I think it's 35. And they said, no, let's, let's bring it up to IMAX. Let's take it Let's take away that aspect ratio. You know, those black bars that are above top and bottom of the frame. Mm-hmm. To the people that don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They said, let's take that away in the shot, in the middle of the action. And what you get is a wide shot. That's kind of focusing on the rate Tuscan Raiders running into the, into the camera. And as soon as they get off the camera, the frame explodes into like, I want to say they shot on IMAX because it feels like it is. Um, but like this just full framed shot of the dragon emerging from the sand. And my God, is it gorgeous? like purely like holy fuck the thing did not look cgi one bit 100 percent. it uh oh it, it, it was breathtaking it, it's amazing the the sort of discrepancy the the between movie quality and tv show quality oh. is, is slowly starting to fade away and it, it's almost non-existent yeah. cheney where because this like that was better than a lot of movies that i've seen a lot of fuck. movies a lot of big budget hollywood and it's, you know, it's a very simple, not overly cgi use of CGI. <laughs> Way to say CGI more than once. But um, it was like a very effective use of CGI. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Um, it, yeah, I could not tell, dude. I could not tell that this was a CGI creature that they, you know. I have a feeling it's bigger than that. Like, it's deeper than that. I feel like they might have used some practicals to, like, have, a like, a puppet or something doing something. But, like, what helped it was the blown up image, like that, like, full screen image. And I had to do a take back because when 
I was like so subconsciously engaged in the scene or, or so consciously engaged in the scene that my subconscious had picked up that I'm watching a full screen image and this is something I've never seen in Star Wars before. This kind of action, this kind of energy and it was like the close up when they go onto Timothy Oliphant's face of him reacting to the dragon where I was like, holy fuck, this is a full frame Star Wars going on right now and I was like full out film nerd to the max. I was like, oh, they did that and I, I rewatched it a bunch of times. I like just kept rewatching that scene. It's gorgeous. It's just, it's a Sid Grover wet dream. Not to put it not to put it coy. Okay, I can see why you'd want to talk about that because you you get all that film nerdy stuff. I'm more of the analysis of classical myths and storytelling and the hero's journey and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's not much mythological stuff other than it was fucking epic to see a dragon pop out like that. It was uh, it was nerdgasmic. Nerdgasmic. It was. I can I can make up words all day long to describe that, but. Okay, let's talk about it on a filmmaking level. Like, I think for a show to accomplish a shot like that is, like, the equivalent to just, like, dropping your balls on a Hollywood boardroom table, being like, who who is that guy, you know? The, it's a it's a game-changing shot. It's a game cha- Not to put it lightly, because you, you touched on it, you said it. it it's going to bring that distinction of TV shows and movies so small. Like, the, this show was already doing that, I think from season one and a lot of shows have been not to just say the Mandalorian is the most game changing show about uh, out there, but it's, it's a, it's a big shot. It's a big move, big filmmaking move, not just because the aspect ratio is exploding and disappearing. And, you know, that's been done before maybe a lot, like a lot of times, but how effective it was to how like really make kind of like your jaw drop kind of a moment. It was, it was that it was, um, gorgeous to see like a a creature a star wars creature that like i think this is a new star wars alien like creature that we're seeing and the way they described it and set it up was oh this is what eats the um the sarlacc right yeah it's living in the sarlacc spit so where's the sarlacc oh it ate the sarlacc so your expectation of the thing is set up to a point where it's okay i'm about to see something bigger meaner than a sarlacc um that's interesting yeah, it was. So, it, it was kind of a plain design to to be honest, but that's okay. I I, I didn't mind. It's um, it's when it started vomiting acid I think, though. I was like, okay, that maybe that's a little extra. Yeah, I I had a conversation with a buddy about that too. That's that's also where I thought like you don't really need him vomiting literal green acid at people. Like that's uh whatever. I I was too enthralled by the the scale of the whole thing. Um, I like how they even commented on that when they were like planning out with the Tuscan Raiders their attack plan. And they're like, that doesn't seem right. The scale of the thing compared to us. Like, no, they say that's the scale. <laughs> and like the whole ending is like all about the scale of the fight, the battle. Um, I, I don't know. I would kind of disagree with you on that detail because I could, I was, I mean, I was watching this on my projector, like a really big image. Um, so I could see like some, you know, like the details of the dragon's skin texture like i could feel that like that's what to me was coming off more like a practical than cgi um that's why i think this is this was game changing for them to like really commit to a an effect like this on the first episode you know it just it takes my mind to different places um real quick too like before we wrap up because i think we're getting to that point um i like i like seeing the the pod racer speeder that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was. That was a nice uh, detail. Where he makes a, that was a nice detail. <laughs> that was, 
yeah that was a like a little thing there where i was like holy fuck is that anakin skywalker's pod like no, I was, no and i started going to episode one frames like frames from episode one to make comparisons i'm like that looks exactly like that fucking skywalker pod but no to me it just felt like it's like common technology used and he i know i know i just got deep but it it's like a salvage he's like a uh, a salvager i guess or whatever and just salvaged the engine and did that um another thing okay there's actually a couple things i want to bring up real quick there's one so i asked you a question before you sat down to watch it do you remember what that was to try to figure out who directed it yeah i asked you there's a i said to you there's a moment in this episode where it becomes it became at least to me i'm talking very personally who the director was it was one shot um in a series of events in a scene i guess that's what you call a series of events in a show or a movie in one scene um where it was a visual it was an image where you could freeze the frame and you could just be like i know who directed that i couldn't find that were you able to pick up not at all no ah damn damn it Okay, I'll tell you right now, because this got me super hyped. Um, so it's this—it's the flashback of um, when when Cobb Vanth gets his armor when when he gets the Boba Fett armor and he goes back into town and he goes and shows oh, up. Oh, like, okay. On the, I know exactly what you're talking about. Guys. Now. He, you know he did the Iron now? Man shot. He did the Iron Man <laughs> shot. Yo. Yeah, I mean, you said it. <laughs> he did the Iron Man tank so, shot. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool. It was a, it wasn't like an exact recreation, but it was just from a framing, like having that over the shoulder and having the explosion off in the corner. I was like, that I've seen that somewhere. Oh, I think John Favreau made this, and uh, yeah, turned out to be, turned out to be the Fabs, and were also written by the Fabs, which, um, like, there's just so many golden nuggets of like you know on a on a rewatch. I'm sure people will dig into it, but when I was rewatching it, like I was just finding so many things that made me appreciate it. Like the story a lot more, like the attention to detail of characters, like, you know, in the dialogue, I'm, I'm sure you probably noticed how many times they brought up womp rats, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like pretty, like they were they're making an obvious note of it, but there was like, I even had to write this down because I thought, I don't think I've heard this in Star Wars before, but they, um, there's a, a quote that, Cobb says where which is both both sons shine on a womp rat's tails and uh i was like that's really interesting that you know like the writers thought of like well like what would a character who like lives on tatooine like what would they what would they have as sayings like what would their sayings be to each other as people like you know like how we have sayings like the sun will shine on me one more day or like stuff like that i don't know what the exact saying it's referring to but i just thought like this is um of re- like this is a writer who has a real big appreciation for the world he's writing about and these kind of characters. Yeah, there's definitely a, some attention paid to world building in terms of dialogue and stuff like that. I, I do feel like there's like distinct dialogue between Tatooineers and other people. So there's definitely a lot of love poured into this show. Not going to dispute that point whatsoever. Yeah, it. so did it get you amped is my question now with the season i know what the answer is but for the people at home. okay i'm i'm uh i always keep my expectations leveled when it comes to star wars but yes i'm excited mm-hmm. i am mm-hmm. excited for season two the rest of it mm-hmm. yeah i think that's there's like now almost like caution thrown into the wind that if you're a star wars fan to 
minimize your expectations, but this is like a show that's giving me hope against to be a dreamer at Star Wars to think they can make amazing mind-boggling shit again, right? They can do that. And yeah, from from the aspect ratio shot of this episode, uh, I'm just going to keep calling it the aspect ratio shot. I'm, I don't know if it'll ever be publicly referred to that. It'll be the dragon shot or something else, I'm sure. But it was the moment when they blew up the aspect ratio for me that that said they're not fucking around this season they're they're putting money into this they're putting love into this and so i mean let's talk about that last like just right before they cut the the episode and and what that means for like the season going forward i'm how big of a role do you think boba fett's gonna play in this in this episode i actually or i mean sorry in the season i i actually hope it's small i i i, I don't it's cool that he's back but i don't think he's needed for the show if you know what i mean um i think the show thrives on that's what makes me think like why would they bring him back if he's not needed what what kind of story are they trying to tell you uh nostalgia bait dude i hope it's not that i hope it's not like let's throw in nostalgia characters for the sake oh we're calling it the mandalorians let's throw in the other mandalorian guy like i know that they were they were planning to make a boba fett movie before this show so they must have had ideas running through their mind about what this character has been doing so you know, I, I can see the premise of that and I, I really hope it amounts to something like of, of deep value because this would be the first characterization of Boba Fett beyond the prequels, essentially. Oh, 100%. And um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they sort of handle this. Um, Boba Fett was sort of a non-character in, in, in yeah. the original movies, um, which is fine. Like, like a lot, I think yeah. a lot of people like overemphasize his importance just based off of his cool character design um when in reality it's just he was just boba fett so um it'd be interesting to see like he did get some characterization as a child within the clone war series but it's it's definitely intriguing to see how his adult or how his life came to be um post sarlacc pit so um Good on them for it finally like canonizing through. something that's been like one of the yeah, original a story things. Story wanted to be heard. Like one of the original, one of the one of the things that I like heard in grade three, where one kid's like, "Yeah, Boba yeah, Fett's not dead." I was like, Star Wars "Yeah, but Boba Fett is yeah. dead." And I was like, "He's like, no, oh, you escaped dude, the sword like that." It's like, yo, you didn't you didn't like read that EU book where Boba Fett became back, or you didn't fucking play that game or buy that Lego set where Boba Fett's still alive. I, I remember those conversations deeply where it, it became a point of debate where it was like, is Boba Fett actually dead or is he out of that pit? And then it would start to be like, no, he could fly out of the pit. Like, no, he had a grappling hook. He grappled onto a tooth and climbed his way out. And then there's like fan arts about it. Like, I'm sure that's the most like fantasized Star Wars fan film that's never existed. Yeah, I know. Is that Boba Fett? So all those people that have been jerking their dicks to that fantasy finally had something to blow their load onto so congrats yeah yeah it looks interesting that was a really phallic way of me putting that but hey just the just the way my brain functions dicks i'm sure i'm sure they wouldn't disagree with you there that's a that's a uh yeah it is what it is, it is what it I is i won't go more into the phallic but um anything more you want to say on this episode Jane? no i i i blew blew everything out that i needed to blow and uh you talked about all the uh all the cool film stuff and yeah it's true 
there's a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff that I'm sure you're geeking out over. Um, but there's a lot of like yeah. intricate use of storytelling that I'm geeking over. So excited. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a coalition of both of our interests, our, our kind of base of interest when it comes to star Wars. Uh, you know, I mean, I, not to say that it's purely a filmmaking thing for me. I think like we're kind of commonplace on the story, the importance of the stories in star Wars. I think that's like, that is what star Wars is, but it's the marriage. I you said it so beautifully. It's the marriage of worldly ideas and, the marriage of truly like storytelling and filmmaking because storytelling can, is so immense. You know, Star Wars isn't a poet, a poem. It's not a song. It's a, it's a movie and this is a show and it's, it's, we're at a point now where these stories are transversing mediums, you know? Um, I wanted to actually talk to you a bit about music in this episode of the Mandalorian score and your thoughts on it, but maybe we'll save that discussion for um, our episode two. But I, even with the music, like, I think the way it's kind of progressing, our understanding of uh, what Star Wars music is from John Williams' original classic music, it's uh, it's immense. It's 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 we're really being brought into the future with these stories. Absolutely, it's a good start. It's a good start, and I, I can't wait for uh, next Fridays and more Fridays to come, where we can we can go crazy over. Star Wars with you guys with people who listen I know I hope I, I don't want to say I know but I hope a lot of our listeners are you know heavy into Star Wars or fans of Star Wars like we are and can engage with us on on this upcoming series that we'll be doing um, we'll be we'll be staying really closely tuned into the the Mando so if you are also tuning into Mando Mandalorian then tune into our show as well and we can have a time talking about it and discussing it and nerding out about it because from one Star Wars fan to another I'm sure you can agree with me it's fun to nerd out with Star Wars fans when you're a Star Wars fan absolutely and uh, if you tune in every Monday for the next I don't know how many episodes are going to be in this season but every week every Monday we're going to be recapping the episode giving our thoughts um, and just sort of talking in general Star Wars sense so please tune in there um, but for now if you made it to this part of the episode congrats you did it um, please yeah, honestly, if you made it all the way here, you deserve a high five from one of us. Yeah. At any given time in life. Like, if, if you have made it to this point, DM us and we'll high Absolutely. five. Absolutely. Virtual high five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Virtual high five. Stay safe, guys. Make sure to. Um, yeah. Cheney. Give us a rating on the podcast <laughs> on whatever you're yeah. listening on, whether it's like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. Google. Yep. We're everywhere. Yeah. We're worldwide. Worldwide. Baby. Absolutely. Internet yeah, six hundred plays, gangster. We're already moving up another hundred plays down the down another hundred. Uh, road to seven hundred starts yeah, today. At at um on it at fucking all the sponsors that sponsor all the yeah MeUndies. Let's go! Come podcasts. on, we have MeUndies, <laughs> Manscaped. I really want to try Manscaped. Like I'm not gonna lie to you. Like this is not a sponsorship for Manscaped because they're not giving us any money, but. And this is a super weird note to end on for a podcast about nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. But yeah, I want to try that thing out. So if Manscaped, anybody from there hears this, send me your razor. Let me try it and I'll review it on our show. And How about that? since the perfect test subject, because he is a hairy bastard. I'm Indian. We are hairy. Um, and with that, I would like to say, if you do enjoy our show, if you uh, enjoy 
our commentaries on what we talked about or who are us for whatever reason then please drop a rating on wherever you watch our show uh it really would help us out in in getting more people on board into our cult jk did i say cult i meant podcast. it's a cult um yeah no the mythic morons podcast is what we're trying to grow it into is essentially like a film club virtual film club and the only way a film club can work is if a lot of people in it watch the films and talk about it so if uh you know if you're into that idea watch along with us or don't watch something else and share with us what you're watching but yeah definitely keep keep the conversations going between yourselves between us you know private forums whatever um but we appreciate everybody who gives us a shot gives our show a shot listens to us and follows it <clears throat> and yeah anything else Cheney? did i forget anything no just follow us on instagram follow us on youtube at mythic morons yeah instagram at mythic morons yeah youtube also mythic morons catalog of the whole show will be up soon um and yeah if that's it then we'll be ending from there signing off peace